Thank you for tuning in to our Bear Creek AG podcast. You are about to listen to our weekly Bible study with Pastor Tony. Thanks for joining in. Very good. Amos chapter 4. We're going to be picking up where we left off last week. I think we're in week number 7. Who would have thought this short little book would uh, take as many weeks as it's taken for us to study? But there's a lot to this book. Um, and I will not uh, revisit or review everything. But just, just know that this book of Amos applies to us today. There's a lot of biblical principles, a lot of things that God's given warning to that we need to heed in our own, our own daily walk and relationship with Him. Now, last week, it took us two weeks to go through chapter 3. We're going to attempt to get through chapter 4 tonight in one study. But obviously, if you have questions or comments, I need you to speak up. I don't want this to be a lecture, like I said a few moments ago. I want this to be interactive. And, um, and I just the best way to learn is to engage the subject matter and ask questions if you have them. Now, last week we finished chapter 3, and we started off two weeks ago in chapter 3 by saying that this is beginning of a change in the book of Amos, and, and God is now speaking uh, to Amos to the nation of Israel. Just We've got some new faces in here, but just so we understand, this is post-splitting of the eight nation. Uh, after Solomon passed away, uh, the, the, there's basically a civil war or a splitting of the nation. God ordained it, actually, if you look back. And we see that the nation split and the southern nation of Judah became named Judah, which is uh, the tribe of David, the tribe of Solomon. God promised David that there would always be a seed sitting on the throne. So it was the largest tribe. It was the tribe of the kingship, so it would remain Judah, and their capital or their place of worship was Jerusalem. The northern kingdom became known as Israel, and pretty much was the ten nor what they call the ten northern kingdoms. And from there, they no longer wanted to travel or could not travel at times to Jerusalem to worship, and so uh, their capital was in Samaria, and their first king created some places of worship. We're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. So I want you to make sure you understand that. Who can recall which nation was Amos from? He was from Judah. He was from the southern kingdom. But yet God, he's one of only two, I believe, forgive me if I'm incorrect, but I think there's only two, one other beside him, that was called from Judah to prophesy to Israel, and he's one of those two. And we said last, uh, uh, we said that in chapter three there was two oracles. Actually, there's more than two oracles, but the first oracle was uh, in chapter three, and it starts off with "Hear this word." So God is speaking through Amos and says, "You need to hear this word." And and through it, He had done two things in chapter three. First three, our first eight verses, we find that He defends His right to prophesy or to preach. We talked about that two weeks ago, okay? How does he have the right? And we discussed that. And then the part two of this first oracle, he announces the judgments on Israel. He begins the judgment on Israel. This is what the Lord... Hear this word, O Israel, for this is what God is telling you. Now, the second oracle of the three we're going to talk about tonight. If you'll notice in, in chapter 4, verse 1, it starts off again... Hear the words. This is an oracle. This, he is being a spokesperson of God. God is speaking. And in this particular oracle, it focuses on the condemnation, if I can use that word, okay? Here, Amos brings the picture of Israel's sin into a sharper focus. If you remember right, the, the Old Testament way of writing the Hebrew was kind of a broad... And then it got, it got a little bit more detailed. We see that in the creation story, right? In Genesis, it's 
tells about the seven days, but then the next chapter it gives more detail. And so this is more detail of the condemnation or the judgment that God is bringing or pronouncing upon Israel through Amos. Okay, and in this time, all right, guys, we got to keep our comments down, all right? Let's don't get in trouble with our wives, our brides. But in this, he's going to focus on women, the women of Israel. He's going to focus on worship in general and the waywardness of the nation. Now, unlike previous messages, Howard, this one concludes with an appeal. He's going to appeal at the end, and hopefully we'll have time. He's going to remind him of things that he's done and why he has done them. All right, now... Engage. Let's begin reading chapter 4, verse 1. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. Oh boy, here we go. Who are on the mountain of Samaria? Love that moo in there, brother Ben. You're supposed to be a sheep, not a cow, but that's good. Who oppresses the poor? Who crushed the needy? Who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink? The Lord God has sworn by His holiness that, behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. And you shall go out through the breaches and each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast out into harmon, declares the Lord. Now, it's interesting, in these, these first three verses, he addresses the women of Samaria, the women of Israel as what? Cows of Bashan, okay, kind of an interesting way of referring to them, and there's reason for this. What you may not know is that the, that the cow of Bashan, those cows were some of the best of that land, okay? So he said, these cows are of the best of the land. That region of Bashan was a very fertile region. The ground was fertile. They had a lot of rain. It was a valley area. So there was a lot of grass. There was a lot there for these cows to feed upon and, and to become, for lack of a better term, healthy. Okay? So they were famous for this particular area for the cows. Okay? They were well fed and they were fat. But this title was not intended to be complimentary. It was not a complimentary. What's that, Sammy? Yes, because you know what? I've never known it was a good. Never known it when it was a good thing to call a woman a cow. Much less a fat cow, or a heifer, or anything else. So, so no, this was not a flattering thing. He, um, it was just to point out something about the culture. What Amos is pointing out is the self-indulgent lifestyle of the women who resided in the mountains of Samaria, which we know Samaria is a city. It was located in the mountains of Israel, the northern kingdoms. And it was to point out their self-indulgent lifestyle. Uh, you know, who do you think would be able to live within the wall city of the capital? You think about that. Who, what, what type of person could, could afford to live within the wall city of a capital? It's like, who could afford to live inside the District of Columbia? Right? Washington, D.C. I mean, just think about why. Because the cost is so expensive. It would have been the same way. Land would have been rare. Because within the city, you have the benefits of the walls. You have the benefits of there being an army there. You have the, the benefits of the wells. The benefits of, of the things that come with having a walled city where, the, where the, the king lives. And so what he's pointing out here is that these are wealthy women these are nobles the people who live in these cities yeah there were probably some poor people absolutely there's some um, but most of them lived outside the city 
If you were to go to Jerusalem, even in the days of Jesus, very few people... Matter of fact, when, when Jerusalem was rebuilt, when Nehemiah rebuilt the walls, they actually drew lots to see, because not everybody could live inside the city. And so it was limited capacity inside the city. So usually it was those of noble, those of wealth. And so he's, he's speaking to these particular people. Of course, there's leadership there and government there. So the strength of that city, along with the wealth and prestige, created a climate where these women felt what? They felt safe. They felt entitled. They felt comfortable. Okay? Comfortable. Now, Amos gives us three phrases that present an unflattering picture of these women. Right? First, they oppress the poor. What do you think this means when they oppress the poor? Talk, I'm not going to lecture. I want, you to, I want you to engage it. What does it mean to oppress the poor? How do you think? Okay. How do you think they oppress the poor? In what, what capacity? Treated them, lorded over them, treated them less than uh, their equals. Uh, uh, I put down here their husbands uh, extracted from the poor working people uh, to subsidize their extravagant living. Think about who served in their homes, took advantage of them. They served in their homes. Uh, and if you remember right, uh, this is what Judah, if you look back at Amos chapter 2, do it on your own time there, but Judah, when judgment came against Judah, when, when Amos was speaking to all the neighboring nations of Israel, the thing that Judah did, if you remember, right, we spent a long time on that, was that they would take the, the poor to court, pay off the judges, or they could afford the lawyers, if we could use that term today, and they would steal from the poor. And that's how they, they would get land, that's how they would get wealth, that's how they would keep the poor oppressed, see. Um, and, and, and Israel is, is no different. This is what Israel uh, is doing, or excuse me, yeah, Israel in, in particular in Samaria, the judgment's coming up on Samaria. The capital is a judgment on the whole nation. The nation is identified by the capital city, and in particular, he's speaking against the wealthy people of the nation, okay? And they were oppressing the poor. Second, it says they crushed the needy. They crushed the needy. They walked over the little people. And there again, the objective of studying all Scripture is to not make it fit our world today, our way of thinking, but it's to understand what is happening in those times, to grasp the biblical principles that God is making through the particular writers of each book and then building that bridge into the 21st century and how does this apply to us. So as we read this, don't think about, okay, how does, that, how do, how does it look like that today in our world? Do, do we have the same challenges today in our world, in our nation, in our capital, um, in, in our community, see? Uh, a lot of what we're hearing today is, is and I want to be careful because uh, we know that some, th some things are used as a political uh, hot button phrase, but there's definitely, it, it's, if you are poor or down and out, if you're underprivileged, if you don't, if, it's hard to get a break in our, in our nation today is where I'm trying to get to. And it seems like those who have, have more, and those who don't have just don't have, and it's a struggle. 
It is a struggle. I don't want to use examples, but young man, I guarantee if you had a little bit extra money in your pocket, you could probably go down there and you could probably buy you a permit. I mean, literally, here, get my... That's exactly right. Why? Because privilege, because money, because of that you have. And, and so that's what, that's, that's the, they keep the oppressed, they keep the, the down and outers. Uh, after all, it was not the place, uh, 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 it, it was their place, the needy, it was their place to serve, the well-to-do. Rank had its privileges and those who had no rank had no privileges. It's kind of like the golden rule. We all know the golden rule, Right? The Bible, it says, do unto others as you'd have them. Whatsoever man would do unto you, do you also unto them. But the, the secular golden rule is he who has the gold rules. And so that's what they're dealing with here. And it goes all the way back to the, the, the Abraham, Abrahamic covenant of God blesses us to be a blessing. The third, and I use the word nag, that may not be the right word here, but the women, it's saying that the women, these women nag their hubs and provide the wine for their debauchery, for their style of living. They even urged them to join them in the reverie. And it's just, it's just a lifestyle of luxury and just waste. While there was needy and there was oppressed people. Sammy? I, I don't know if I'm reading that right, but it, that wasn't a request to their husbands. No, it wasn't a request to their husband. And it sounds to me like their husbands didn't stand up to them. You're right. You're absolutely right. And it's not. Absolutely. There was, a, there, was a, there, was a, there was something wrong in the order of hierarchy or uh, authority within, within the homes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good, good point. Good way to good look at it and point it out. Absolutely. Okay. Basically, what he, he's talking to the women here. It goes, though, obviously to everybody within the nation. But he particularly talks the, about the women, and these women were what? Self-indulgent. They were materialistic. They never stopped chewing the cud of luxury. I like that. A commentator put that. I put that in there. I stole that from me. The cud of luxury. They failed to accept any responsibility to care for those who were less privileged. Now this, I, mean, that, that, I mean, think about that. It, it seems that their sole aim was to live a lavish lifestyle of entitlement. So Amos calls them cows of Bashan, you heifers. It sounds like a very rude way of speaking, but the Lord was not stooping to, indu to indulge in name-calling. That's not what the Lord was trying to do here. He was merely emphasizing the, the, the pampered, selfish, ungodly personality of these wealthy women. Privilege. Yes, Mary Lou? Absolutely. No, it's absolutely no. You're absolutely correct. It's 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 a bad situation or how to look at it. Now, what I like is and there's plenty of scripture in the Old Testament, New Testament to combat this attitude. Um, and, and and by no means do I believe in the theology of poverty. By no means. All right, we we know that God wants to bless us. Nor do I buy into the theology of prosperity in the sense that it's. It has been taught in some camps. I do believe God wants to prosper us. Um, Isaiah 58.6 tells us that God's people should share their food with the hungry. It's about 
looking after those who are less fortunate and provide the poor wanderer with shelter. It is about helping those. I would say this is not a this is not a black eye on the church when I say this. This is more of of a a way of thinking in our nation as a whole. I wasn't around a hundred years ago, but I can look at history. And a hundred years ago, it was the church's responsibility to take care of the poor. But when the Great Depression came in, our government felt like it was their responsibility to take care of the poor. That's where welfare came in. Am I against welfare? I'm not saying I'm against welfare. But that was never a permanent solution. That was a temporary uh, policy to get us through a very hard time in our nation. But what it's done is it's caused us to be dependent upon our government and the church because of that, not saying it's right, we have relinquished our responsibility to take care of the poor. In the needy. But nowadays, there's so many people abusing the system that the, if the church helps everybody, they over half of what they help and didn't need help, they just need to be. Well, and I would say this, and the reason why it's being, the reason why there is abuse is because when the church, this is my opinion, okay, this is my personal thought on this. When the church stopped fulfilling that role in society, remember, kids used to be taught in the church house, that was the schoolhouse. They were taught about the principles and the moralities of the Word of God. It, it, everything about our culture, our society, revolved around the, the Word of God. It really did. But when, we, when the government stepped in, we relinquished that responsibility. And because of that, we don't have in the measures to properly manage helping the needy. And that's why we're taking advantage of it. It doesn't mean that everybody comes along gets help because if they're abusing, then there needs to be, there has to be, you're right, there has to be boundaries in that. But we're not prepared for that because we have relinquished it. And then like our church, what do we do? We come along and it's good. We come along, we buy a truckload of food or, or Mercy Chef comes along and we do. And we know those people who, are, who come here that don't need it and then they go elsewhere and don't need it. And, but because of their selfishness, their hoarding of food. And so we just choose to give it to them because, honestly, we don't have any kind of guidelines, any ways of monitoring that because it's not a regular event. If we did regular food giveaways or if we actually had, which we've tried here, I'm not trying to defend us. I just know as a pastor, I know that what my point is, is we are responsible. If anyone's responsible for helping the hungry and the needy, it's us. All you had to do is look at what Jesus said in Matthew. I was hungry. You didn't feed me. I was in jail. You didn't visit me. I was thirsty. You, I, was, I was naked. I, boom. Well, when? Well, when you've done it to the least of them, you've done it to me. And so I think there is a mandate there for the church to be involved with taking care of the needy and helping them, not, not supporting them in the sense that, okay, you have become a dependent upon the church, but there has to be a way that we can help people when they're going through a hard time. Anyway, that's kind of what that one. Well, that's not kind of that's what Amos is, is talking about here. Okay, he's saying, look, you guys have all this wealth, you have all this prestige, and, and you're taking advantage of the poor and the needy. They're serving you, and you're treating them badly. You're not paying them well, and they're going hungry, and they're homeless, and 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 now look, you're 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 just living this luxurious lifestyle, and and you're not fulfilling the responsibilities as God's people, what you're supposed to do. And so what does God do? God swears by himself. He says, he says, so help me, me, right? 
that a day of judgment is coming. So help me me, a day of judgment is coming. The walls of the city would be breached and they would be led out by what? By hooks. Now, this could be figurative speaking, but just to kind of let you know, historically speaking, that the Assyrians, who would be the nation that would come and, and, and destroy uh, Samaria, that would carry off the Israelites of the northern kingdom, they had, they, they actually, in history, there's proof, they've actually got statues and stuff they found, archaeologists found, where it shows that they would actually lead people around with either hook through their lip or hook through their nose. So whether this is figurative speaking or literally speaking, regardless, what's about to happen is judgment is coming upon the Samaritan, or upon the Israelites in Samaria, or actually in Israel in general, okay? It could be literal or it could be figurative, but either way, judgment is coming. Verse 4, come to Bethel and transgress. First of all, what does the word transgress mean? Any idea? Sin. It means sin. Yeah, to sin, to transgress, to, to sin against God. So come to Bethel and sin. To Gilgal and multiply your sin. Bring your sacrifice every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened. And proclaim free will offerings. Publish them, for so you love to for you for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord. You know, sometimes we read scripture from our personality. Forgive me, but to me, Amos is like so sarcastic here, and I, and I know he's really not being sarcastic, uh, but it, it's like, hey, come on, trans- sin against God at Bethel. Come on, Gilgal. Come on, come on, bring your sacrifices. You can type three times a week if you want to. Come on, come on. Because you know that's what you love to do. You love to be seen as you worship. Okay? So he's mocking in a way. He's condemning their worship. He's talking about worship here. He begins by condemning the places of worship. Come to Bethel, come to Gilgal, and in transgression, like I said, being sin. Now, after the split of the nations, I talked about the two nations splitting. Jeroboam, which is the king that, uh, of the northern tribes of, of, of Israel, which became Israel, he set up two places of particular worship. One was Dan, and the, the city of Dan, and Bethel. Um, and, and, and the reason why he did this was because the place of worship and sacrifice was Jerusalem, but that was in Judah. And this is a new kingdom. They just split. The last thing the king of the splitting nation or kingdom wants to do is for his people to travel back to the place they split from and worship. Although they did not have God in Jerusalem, they did have the temple, they did have the ark which represented the presence of God. And so Jeroboam said, look, I, I'm not going to let you go there. That, that makes no sense at all. So Jeroboam, he says, we're going to create a place in Dan and Bethel as places of worship so you don't have to travel back to to Jerusalem to worship. And it makes sense. So what's so unique about Bethel? Anybody remember what was unique about Bethel? What does Bethel mean? Anybody know what it means in Hebrew? It's okay if you don't. I'm just testing to see if they're... It means house of God. Anybody know where it was first mentioned in the Old Testament? It's okay if you don't. I'm just wondering. I'm going to try to get you to talk. Jacob. Absolutely. It's when Jacob had the dream, the encounter with God, and God renewed the co- Abraham's covenant with Jacob, whose name later, when he wrestles with, with Jesus or the angel of the Lord, his name would be changed to Israel, and he would have the sons who make up the tribes of Israel. So, yeah, it was, it was there. It's called the house of God. Bethel means the house of God. It was a very special 
place uh, for the Jews, okay? And so that's where one place where Jeroboam set up a place of worship. But to kind of degrade it, he, he had golden calves set up here and in Dan, the other place, for worship. So he said, we're going to worship the Lord God, but we're also going to have golden calves, which brings us all the way back to when the Israelites left Egypt, which is the calf was something that was worshipped in Egypt, which is a form of the old life, the form of sin. And so you see all the symbolism in there. I mean, it's not just symbolism, it's reality. And so this is what Jeroboam, he says, we're going to worship the one true God here, but we're also going to worship these other gods as well. Of course, we know that Asherah poles and Baal was also worshipped in Israel as well as Judah. So, but in particular, he had golden calves created for there to be worshipped in both Dan and Bethel. Now, Gilgal, anybody remember what's special about Gilgal? G-I- Actually, no, I'm not sure where that was at. I know what you're talking about there. But no, Gilgal was the place when they finally crossed over the Jordan led by Joshua. It was at Gilgal, and Joshua, by God's command, he pulled, had 12 stones pulled out of the Jordan River and set up there as a remembrance of the day that God fulfilled His promise of bringing them back to the land of promise. And so it's very special to the Jews. Very, very special to the Jews. Um, and so there was also a place that, that, was, that was mentioned, and it was a place where uh, they would go and worship. So these locations became places of transgressions, not only because of the false worship, but because even when they, are, when they would worship the one true God, and I know it's odd to say that way, but when they would worship God, not the little G, but the capital G, they were making sacrifices and they weren't doing it correctly. They had the wrong attitude of what they were doing. He says, go ahead and make transgressions. Make more, double your transgressions. Do it all you want to. And he breaks it down what they're doing. He's mocking. He's encouraging them to bring their sacrifices. What? Every morning. Now, they weren't supposed to make sacrifices every morning. He's, being, he's mocking them. See? That's it. That's exactly what he's saying. You're living like you're living up there, and, and you like to come down here, and you like to make sacrifice. You like to worship. Remember, sacrifice in the Old Testament is worship. It's worship. That's how they worship the Lord. They had peace offerings, Thanksgiving offerings. They had these fellowship offerings, all these different offerings and sacrifices. And he says, you live the way you want to, and then you come, you come down here, and you, and you worship this way. You worship these false gods, and then you worship the one true God. And go ahead. Do it all you want to. Matter of fact, why don't you do it every day? And go ahead. How often were they supposed to tithe? Anybody have an idea of tithing? They basically tithe during the harvest. Depends on what the harvest was. All right? That doesn't mean you couldn't tithe other times, but most of their income, most of what they did was in the fields. Get this. So you, you, you tithe when you, had, when you had gain. Oh, if you went and you sheared, okay, you had gain. Whatever the case is, it's not like today where we get paid every week or every two weeks or every month if, if you're employed. If, if, you're, if you're retired, you get it monthly. Or if you have a 401k, whenever you pull it out, see the point he's making here. He says, go and tithe as much as you want, as often as you want, even when, you don't, even when it's not the time to tithe. Go ahead and do it because you know you love to be seen doing these things. 
but it's not making them right with God. See, Sammy? Uh, one version here says they tithe every three years, and then one version says three days. Well, <coughs> in my study of this, it, the, 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 it breaks down to every three days. So I'm not sure where they get three years, but it's, I, think, I think if you look at how Amos is writing, he says every morning, um, and talking about these other ones, he's, he's, I, th I think it's go ahead and do it more often and make sure you're being seen. And matter of fact, it, he even talks about uh, leavened bread with the, with, the, um, with the Thanksgiving offering. What did leaven represent? Remember when they were supposed to, and I know there's a, there's a lot of, uh, of just information in this, but I want the scripture to come to life. It's written this way, and if we don't really grasp this, it's it just kind of like, well, this, this doesn't apply to me, but it does apply to me. He's, they were not supposed to do fellowship, Thanksgiving, peace offerings with leavened bread. When they left Egypt, they were to take unleavened bread. During the Passover, they cleaned their house for any leaven because what? It's representative of sin. That's what the leaven represented. And so he's saying, you are coming to worship with thanksgiving and peace offerings, fellowship offerings, and you're bringing leavened bread. You're not even following the right, the, the way I told you to do it. You, even your worship is sinful. Even your worship is wrong. And whoever thought our worship could be wrong? See? How is worship wrong today? This, there, let's bring it to the day. I don't have any notes on this because this is where you guys get the... How, how does this relate to us today? If it's a show. If it's a show. False worship. False worship. Christian. I'm sorry? Sunday morning Christian. Look at me. Look at me. Come on, anything else? This is your opportunity to... We have to bring it to today. It's, it's for us today. It's written to them, but it's for us today. And, and as I see it, it's, it should be a check on us. It starts with, what are we doing with what God is giving us? And when it comes to worship, we need to worship, the New Testament said, in spirit and truth, worship. So we need to come in honesty, in, in truth, in, in transparency as we worship. And it's not to be seen. There's nothing wrong with being seen. It doesn't mean you don't, I've heard people say, well, it means you don't raise your hands and you, you don't stand. No, it, it doesn't mean, it just means you don't do it to be seen. Not the heart. It, that's right. It's all about the heart. Because the reality of it is, in the Old Testament, they could go through the ritual uh, sacrifices. And if it wasn't done with the right heart, it did nothing. They had to have faith in those sacrifices in the blood in particular that it would, it would cover their sin. They had to have faith in that. Just like today, we have to have faith that the blood of Jesus, right, covers our sin. He paid the ultimate price. And, and, that's, and he's saying, look, you're going through the motion. You're a Sunday morning Christian, to, to use um, this analogy, right? It, it, it's, it's, you're, 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 doing, you're coming to be seen. You're doing things just to be, to be recognized, to be, to be seen. And there's, there's no... No sincerity in what you're doing. And that's this, this, what he said right there, um, it, it became part of the judgment. Right? The, the sacrifices expressed the people's real love, and they weren't doing it with honesty. The worship had little to do with love for God and his desires and his will and serving him by serving others. And they were honoring themselves and they. It, 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 this, this 
statement made by God through Amos, this call to worship becomes another accusation against the nation. See, this is another reason why God's bringing judgment. Not only are you abusing what I've blessed you with and you're not being good stewards, and don't we see in the New Testament, isn't the Christian life a life of stewardship? And so we find it here, and so we find it today. How, how, what do you do with what God has given you from your resources to your gifts uh, to your, your, uh, your time? And this isn't legalism. This is heart attitude. What, how, do you, how do you view everything? See, I'm going to be preaching Sunday morning on submitting to the authority of the kingdom of God as a disciple. And this is part of it. Who, whose kingdom are you a part of? Who, who sits on the throne of your heart? What authority are you subjecting yourself to? Is it the worldly kingdoms? Is it the kingdom of Satan? He has a kingdom. Is it your own kingdom? Or is it the kingdom of God? See? Is he referencing everybody in the kingdom or just the rich people? Well, it, this is a... This is a uh, it's, it, he's speaking specifically to them, but let me ask you this, Sammy. Um... Judgment, the whole nation is judged for this, yeah. right? So he is speaking to the wealthy here. Those who are in charge, there's definitely, where much is given, much is required. There's definitely, but, but this, this is, although the whole nation didn't have wealth, although the whole nation didn't have uh, status, as, as we know, but they all were called to worship. So they all were, were worshiping false gods. They were, they were not fulfilling the plan God had called the, the nation to. He is specifically speaking to them. No, no, you're right. But I will say this. What you've got to understand, though, is he's speaking to the leadership of the nation because who had the power to change it? There is some truth to that, Sam. You're, I, I see what you're pointing out is, okay, the, the, he's speaking to the leaders, so does this have an effect on everybody? Well, unfortunately, it does. It will. As we know from history, they're all carried off into bondage to the Assyrians. See? Just like we'll find later on, hundreds, uh, about a, what is it, 100 or so years later, that Judah, maybe it's a little bit more than that, forgive my history there, but that Judah, although they are not de destroyed, but they're carried away for 70 years, 70 years into bondage of Bab Babylon. And then, of course, we know that the Persians come along and, and they're, they're allowed to come back through Ezra and Nehemiah to, to rebuild, to Rezubabel, to, to rebuild the city and all. But the point being is it affected everybody affected everybody. Do This may be a big can of worms to open up, but we're going to talk about it here just in a minute. So let, let me preface this question and then maybe we'll come back to it when I read verses 6 through 11. But if coronavirus was a judgment of God on this world, in particular this nation... I feel like I'm living a right-standing life before God, but it had an impact on me as it did on everybody in the world. So, like I said, we're going to talk a little bit about the judgments of God in just a moment. Uh, but the important thing to understand is their worship was not proper. See, see I put this note down here. Worship is not what you do on Sunday morning. Worship is how you live your life every day, moment by moment. Worship is living in obedience to God's word. That's worship. That's a sacrifice. 
It is a sacrifice to live by God's word. You have to, you have to kill the flesh. You have to sacrifice the flesh. You have to take up your cross daily. Something we don't get today. I'm, just, I'm not trying to cast stones. We don't get that today. We've got a false idea of what Christianity is. And it's really about sacrifice. I don't believe in the, 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 the poverty. We don't have to be poor, down and out. I'm not saying that. Because it's not about money or things. and It is, but it's not. It's about the attitude of your heart and how you live your life every day. Because we know stewardship is where if you're faithful within a few things, God's going to make you ruler of greater things, whether it's in this life or eternity. Okay. Chapter 4 concludes with a narrative intended to serve as further indictment of Israel. These verses contain five distinct sayings, each opening and concluding in the same manner. And Amos is articulately utilizing repetition to drive his point home. Listen to what the Lord is saying. He says, I gave you cleanness of teeth. Now that's an odd phrase. And I want, to, I want you to have full understanding of this because that seems like a very odd way of saying it. Anybody have any idea what that meant? It's really a phrase they used back then. Empty stomachs, absolutely. Yeah, had to do with hunger. It was an expression signifying a, the, the, the scarcity of food or famine. Okay, and, and the famine that he's probably talking about here, you could read about in 2 Kings chapter 8. Okay, But he says, cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also, notice this is past tense. I also will withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. So it's affecting the harvest. I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain and the field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I struck you with the blight and mildew or with blight and mildew, your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees, your olive trees, the locusts devoured. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent among you a pestilence after the, the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with a sword and carried away your horses. And I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. <clears throat> excuse me, and you were as a, a brand plucked out of the burning. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. So the question right here is why these are past tense. Why did God, it's right there in the scripture, why did God do all these things? Correction. Sir? Correction. Correction. So what? So that they would return to the Lord. He said, but you didn't return. He says, everything I've done is to get your attention so that you will return to me. See? You spare the rod, you spoil the child, right? God chastens those He loves. He still loves His people. And yet, he, whether you want to say He did these things or allowed, I can, I can make the argument, He did these things. It says so. I, I, I did this, I did that. And He did it. Well, Amos' point, he's pointing out that God has been doing these things. Each action had caused the people a great deal of heartache. But they hardened their hearts, didn't they? Mary Lou? Right. See, and that's what I'm saying. We have, we have gravitated to a false form 
of godliness, a false form of, uh, of, 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 I hate to say religion, but Christianity. We'll use that term, although this is before pre-Christ. It, it is. Now, that doesn't mean that everything bad happens to you, that God is doing it to you. <clears throat> we have to have, a, we have, to have a, a level foundation in our theology of this. But we do know from the book of Job, we know from this and other places, that what? God does permit things to happen. Hey, Satan, where have you been? Well, I've been to and fro. God knew where Satan had been. <clears throat> well, have you considered my, my friend? Man, that's tough having a friend like that, isn't it? Like God, when he says, have you considered my friend Job? <clears throat> Do what you want to, just don't kill him. What? Yeah. See, God does things we know from the New Testament Scripture. He does things for the testing of our faith, for us to grow. He doesn't tempt us. It's not that if something out there is tempting, we, did, we covered this in the book of James a couple months ago. He's not tempting you to make you sin. It's a testing. The only way you know where you're at to be tested. And there's times God says, I'm, you're going to be tested. All right? But then there's times that God does correction. And I'm not going to ask for testimonies, but I hope you have, I guarantee you've had examples in your life where there was a testing of your faith for the purpose of growing your faith, but there's also times where God corrected you, <clears throat> which also tested your faith, tested your relationships, see? And so that, that's what we have here. God's... God knows where you're at, though. Because, I mean, he says he won't tempt you more than you can uh, bear. But then he also offers a way of escape, too. So he knows that whatever you're being tempted with, you can get through it. Well, it's just a matter of and, whether and or not you... Can I, can I correct you on something without you being offended here for just a moment? All right, I mean, correct it in... We, I've heard people say that all the time, that God will not put more on you than you can bear. And I'm not sure where that scripture comes from. There is a scripture that talks about that, but that's really taken out of context. Because have you ever had things, has God ever allowed things or put things on you greater than you can bear? I know he has me. Okay. And it wasn't something that, now I'm going to do a little teaching and personal revelation here of my own life. And it wasn't something I brought. There's been things I brought on myself that I couldn't hardly bear and I needed God. But there's things that he has permitted and allowed. Because why? He wants to teach us what? We got to trust him. We got to lean on him. All right. And I just want to make sure that I corrected that simply because that's something that I hear a lot of Christians saying. And, 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 and it does damage to the kingdom of God because then people start blaming God. Well, God, this is more than I can, I can stand. You said you wouldn't put more. No, no, no. He just said... He will be with us. His rod and his staff are there to protect us and to keep us. But, but you're right. God does. Your, your premise is correct. He knows where we're at. He knows what we're facing. He knows the condition of our heart. We can put on a show all we want to. We can bring all the offerings and all the, 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 the slain animals and the tithe and the fellowship uh, offerings and the peace offerings with God. But if the heart's not right, they mean nothing. Typically it is, absolutely. Because God doesn't want you to fail. Right. He doesn't want you to fail. So, I mean, you know, just like in life, you know, he's, there's paths for everything. Absolutely. And if you are in, a, if you are in that, then there's, there's things there. There's either people there to help you or there's resources there. Those things are already planted ahead of time. Absolutely. That's what I believe. And, and I believe that's the 
the true test is whether or not we take the path that leads to whatever it is that gets us out of that situation. Whether it's what is he trying to teach us? He's trying to grow our faith. If it's so, and that's what my next point was. These things happening to the Israelites did not cause them to stop and ask why. It never caused them to stop and ask why as a nation. Because there's no national repentance. There is no national repentance, right? And so because of that, they failed to see this, that this was God bringing us on to get their attention to bring them back. They had, these things happen because of God. Well, because of them, but God enacted it. All right? There's a lot there. Questions? Comments? Merely. That's the, yeah, absolutely. And you're absolutely right. It's, it's exactly right. That's wisdom right there. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean God's trying to pour so much on you that you become a beast of burden. There are times of testing for us. No. Matter of fact, if anything, when things are going well, is usually when we slip, our relationship with God seems to slip. Now, it doesn't mean we, back, I'm not talking backsliding. I'm just talking about the fervency of our relationship. It's not as intense. Now, it should be. This is what I'm found, okay? Let me just, and, and, you know, when I was younger, I wouldn't, I, I heard older folks say this, and I, oh, come on. But I'm now older and I guess a little wiser and more mature in the Lord. Definitely emotionally more mature. Uh, I, I never, with, with age and maturity, there are still times that maybe, okay, here's transparency. There may be times when things are going well that, my relationship may lax a little bit, but it's not like it was when I was younger. I was so distracted, I guess, when I was younger. Now that I'm older, I'm not old. I'm not trying to say I'm old. I'm not in the category of some people like Bill over here, okay? But, um, <laughs> but I'm just saying with experience. With experience. With age comes, should come experience. Good experience, bad experience is experience. And with it, what I find is, is that I, I'm not so apt for my relationship to lax with God when things are going well. I've come to the realization that life is an ebb and flow. Brother Joey, life's an ebb and flow, isn't it? There's, good, there's always good times and bad times. What is consistent is what? God. See, And that's what I've learned. That's, that's what I have learned in my life. That's what those who came before me tried to teach me, but I was just, I was a young know-it-all. And, you know, I, you know, right? No, it's not that I denied it. I just didn't, I didn't grasp what they were saying. See? There's a generation that is, that is quickly passing on to eternity. Okay? That when they were y'all's age, right? In 20s, they went through some of the hardest times of this nation, and, and they had no, and I, this is my personal opinion. I believe why their faith is as strong as it is, is because they had a need for God like we've really not experienced. We think this past year, we think the last three years here in our general area with the hurricane and COVID has been bad. It compares to nothing where those who, who came through the, the 20s and the 30s, it was nothing like what they went through. They went through things that they absolutely could not bear without God. 
That's right, because they didn't have the government to come in and help them. They didn't. They, there, there wasn't banks to loan money. There wasn't a fix. There wasn't modern medicine like we have today. There was no answer other than God for their predicament, for the situation. And so they learned. And that's why so many of the songs that come from their generation, it talks about the hymns and things. It talks about, this is not my home. I'm passing through because this was not a place they wanted to stay. They realized that this world was not home. They were pilgrims passing through. I'm, ca- I'm camping. I'm but you know Canaan's land. But I'm just camping. There's a place I'm yet to to go because why? Life was not really fun for them. It didn't have a lot of enjoyment for them. That doesn't mean they didn't have enjoyment. Don't get me wrong. But it wasn't in the things of God. I mean, in the things of the world. It was. In, it was in. It really was in family. Family was the most important thing, and it was in their relationship with the Lord because why? They couldn't live without Him. Today's a little different. There was because there was what? What was there? There was greater faith. That's right. Now, listen, I'm not against banks and I'm not against doctors. I'm not against the government other than their immorality and what they're pushing today, okay? There's good people in government. But today when we have a problem, the world system, the world, the kingdom of the world offers a solution to most of it. See? And so, I don't want to say our walk with God is not as deep, but maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's not. I don't know. I, I can't judge. I didn't live back then. I, all, I can, all I know is I look back, and when they were my age and, and younger, maybe, maybe they struggled with the same things I struggled, we struggled with. I've only known them in their latter years, and I see their great faith. I guess that's what my point is. And, and I see the authenticity of their worship. And I see their dedication to God and the things of God. See, um, maybe that came later in life. I know the, the more mature I become, the less the carnal things matter to me anymore. If anything, things just mean maintenance to me anymore. I get tired of taking care of things. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm not saying I'm ready to give it all away, but... Some of it might be. So I kind of chased a tangent there, but you hear the heart of, of where the conversation, where the Spirit is leading it tonight, see? Uh, and and, and so, so, yes, God allows. And, I, and, and someone said earlier, I think it was Mary Lou said that today people don't believe that God does these kind of things today. And why wouldn't God? If He loves us. Why wouldn't he want to get our attention when he has a better way for us? Does that mean COVID was of God? Did, did God cause COVID? That's possible. He brought pestilence here. We, we, Brother Ben has pointed this out before. We, we like to quote Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. You know the rest of it. But the verse before that says that he sent pestilence. That's why he was healing. The, that's why he, the purpose of the pestilence was to humble his people. Now, does that mean every time you're sick, God is trying to humble you? No, no. We got plenty of scriptures to prove otherwise. It's, it, it, each situation may be different. But nonetheless, when they went through it, just like when we go through it, what they didn't do is they didn't ask, why? Why is this happening? 
why is our nation in the mess it's in? Why is why did COVID come? You know, there's there's questions we can we need to ask ourselves why. Maybe God didn't send COVID, but maybe He did. Maybe God didn't send Michael, but maybe He did. There's some good things that came out of Michael, but there's awfully bad things too that came out. You know, there's some great things that's come out of COVID. Yeah, and there's been some bad things that's come out of COVID. We just have to ask ourselves why. And I know that goes against the, the modern theology of the modern Christian church today. But why wouldn't God want to get His people's attention if we're not walking with Him? Joey? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Well, and then you've got it right. You're absolutely right, brother. And there's very few people today that is really needy. You're right. It's in our nation. There's very few people. Absolutely. Yeah. Need right. Most people. There, they, there was no food. Absolutely. Everything stopped in our nation. They needed. Yeah, they were in need. Yeah. When you need, you return to God. When you don't really need anything, it's hard to get people. Because you don't need, you don't see the need for God at that point. Yeah. What's that, Brother Ben? When we stop seeing the upside of the Lord in our daily devotional, we're going to put this in good. Yeah. We have. We've stopped listening to the voice of God. Yeah. Stop. Yeah, absolutely. I think it needs to start personally, though. I don't think we can try all we want to correct the nation, but we need to start with ourselves. It is. It always starts. If my people who are humbled by, who are called by my name will humble, it is. It's, it's, it's just like, and I, I, you know, you've been hearing me preach this for the last two weeks. Revival doesn't break loose out there in the world. It breaks loose in the church. Revival, revival breaks the day of Pentecost. It, it, revival happened. That was a revival. Great revival. Thousands of people got saved that day. It happened with, at that point, the church leaders. Who were the church leaders? Uh, the disciples of Christ. And so we see that. The first great awakening, second great awakening, it all happened through the preaching of God's Word. It did. And when God's word was preached with authority and anointing and the people were open to hear it, it pricked their hearts. It, it humbled them. Do you think it's because those people in the awakening and stuff came with expectancy? Like they wanted revival? I don't think at first they wanted revival. I don't think it's like, oh, well. But I think if you look historically, and I don't know all the historical background of what was happening in the world at that time. Um, but I, I think I think I think when we get to a place where we just we we want God, I just want God. What does that mean? Want God? I, I just I want to I want a closer walk with Him. I asked Him this week, God, why don't you speak to me like I see you speaking to these people in the Bible? You know, He didn't necessarily audibly answer me, but within my spirit, He says because you're. You're not where I can speak to you that way. That hurt. Now, maybe that was just me beating myself up. I don't know. 
I just know that when it's like, oh, that's very, very humbling, Lord. Okay, I'm not where you can, I'm not where I can hear you. I don't, I'm not on the spiritual frequency. I'm not where I, I'm not open to hear. Because he's speaking. God never stops speaking, in my opinion. I don't have scriptural proof of it, but I don't think God ever stops speaking. I think God's constantly communicating with his creation, with us, uh, through his spirit. If he tells us to pray without ceasing, I think there's a two-way communication that goes on. Anyways, um, I'm rambling there. But I won't, I just, I don't doubt my faith and my relationship with Christ. It's not that. I just, I just want, I want a, and I, I hate to even use the word knowledge, but it's not a intellectual knowledge. It's a spiritual, emotional knowledge. I want to know him more. I feel him. I've seen him move on me, an anointing fall on me. I want that every day. Definitely every time I step in the pulpit, I want that anointing on me. Because why? At that point, I'm ministering to the sheep. Anyways, I'm rambling here. I know I'm rambling, but it's it's that's 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 what I want. But I've got to be I got to be a vessel that can take that, receive that, be used by him, and hear him. Seven verses in this chapter four. Closes out verses by saying. Hmm? Yep. And, and thank God speaking to us, and somewhere along the line, we don't need to be studying this anymore. Well, in the New Testament, it says very, very often, those who have the ears, mm -hmm. see, let them hear. So, verse 12 and 13, we close out chapter 4, and it says, Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel. Do what? The judgment he's already said he would do. Because I will do this to you. Because I'll do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thoughts, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. And, and I don't have time with the, to break it down but there's Elohim in there, which is the God of creation. In other words, it's not a God, but he, they use different names to identify God. Elohim was one of them. He, and Lord, if it's all capital letters in Lord in your, in your Old Testament, that means Yahweh, which is the I Am. He, the God. He is God. All right. If it's capital L, little O-R-D, it means Elohim, or he is, he's, the, he's the God of creation. It's a different way of identifying the same God, different way of it. And so in here you see both of these. I don't have time to break it down. You see both of them. So he, he is God, but he's also, and he says, and I'm speaking to you through my creation, and I am the one who's going to bring this judgment on you. I will do this. Right? I'm going to do that. I'm bringing down on you this judgment. So Israel, you better be prepared to meet your God. <laughs> to prepare to meet your God. Amen? Who would have thought Amos would, would have such richness for us today? And it does. It does. It has a lot for us. So I, um, it's uh, just amazing how God uses this book to speak to us. Amen. Thank you for joining our podcast. Here at Bear Creek AG, our goal is to help others know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Have a great week.